Thank you for tuning in once again to Moments That Matter. This week we're rejoining Kathy Tilly Schaefer, Paul Schatzberger, for a continued conversation of the stories in his recent book, Moments That Matter. As an added bonus, we'll step into a few stories that did not make it in the book, but you'll certainly want to hear. As always, feel free to get your own copy of this newly released book, either in print or digital version, from Amazon, linked in the description. So you've read the book twice. Um, you've also read the first book that I wrote, um, which is amazing. Um, so what else did you find uh, interesting or encouraging uh, about the stories in the book? Oh, wow. Well, your first book, Choices, was just so enlightening. I mm. just I bought three copies of it. I gave it wow. to friends. I'm going to buy another copy for our church library. Uh, I loved it sort of kind of helps me understand predestination mm. you know, and that conflict people have um, and all that. It really just gave me some understanding that I had, and it was like a light bulb went off. And I mm. love that the the analogy or metaphor, whatever you use for the, the ship and the, the mm-hmm. I may be saying it wrong, Bulema and Thelema. Am I saying it correctly? Bulema and Thelema, yeah. Okay. I said it incorrectly. Um, but it really gave me great understanding and then played into this, into mm-hmm. this book and your life and everything. Um, there, I'm just trying to think about the, there was one statement, and I think it, this person that you, um, Parker Palmer, that you quote mm-hmm. a lot, I need to get some of his books. Um, yes, you do. The one that really, I wrote this down, I'm going to use it in graduation cards. Okay. <laughs> the place where our deep gladness meets the world's deep needs. Deep needs. I just love that. Um, and he's actually quoting someone else at that point. Think, uh, yeah. I love that. Yeah. Um, so the uh, one of the things I wanted you to tell me more about that I didn't quite get was the Catch the Fire event. And, um, oh. <laughs> it's yeah. kind of like, was it sort of a charismatic thing? It's, it was a very charismatic thing, yeah. Um, and and we just kind of joined the party. I mean, it was it had been going on seven years at that point um, up there, and I mean, literally just meetings every day, and and you know, extensive meetings. They would they would start meeting, I don't know, seven eight at night and go past midnight, and it would be like every night, you know. Um, and this, this, you have to understand too. This this church is a tiny little church. They had to actually build a, a bigger church just to accommodate all the people who wanted to come and be like part of this or whatever. And then after a while, they started offering these conferences, and that's what I attended: the Catch the Fire conference. And now actually, the church is called Catch the Fire. Um, but so so it was a little bit more organized by the time I got around to it. Um, I think it was just kind of, it, you know, it is what it is, you know, when you, when you showed up before. Um, but the, uh, it, was, it was just cool for us because at my group that went up because we had this kind of personal connection, you know, to the, one of the speakers. And, uh, and I think if that had not been the case, I don't know, we might have all been like that woman that I described as being kind of balled up, you know, and, and praying for God to, you know, let her go home. Um, because it was so, so unusual. 
um, we had had stuff, you know, some of the stuff that had been happening like that um, in our church in, in the previous few months, but not at that level. It was, it was just completely different. Um, and, yeah, I mean, it, it taught me a lot. It taught me, well, of course, me personally, uh, it really taught me about freedom. I mean, really, you know, what that means, spiritual freedom. But it also taught me a lot about the people that I was going to meet in Ukraine. And so I couldn't have even imagined that that was part of the reason that God brought me up there. Uh, because we had we, we were dealing almost exclusively with charismatic and Pentecostal churches in Ukraine. And they had this was their background. And if you if you did not have that same kind of background, they, there was no trust of of you um, because you were just this interloper, you know, this outsider, whatever. Um, but because of that experience, and because nothing like that really scared me anymore, <laughs> um, you know, I I was just there among them and with them and participating and. Everything was great. And the other thing is, too, that I, I did a lot of teaching in Ukraine. I don't really talk so much about that. But, you know, I taught, like, um, uh, listening for the voice of God as an example, you know, and, and some other, you know, s slightly charismatically related uh, courses. And, again, I think without that personal experience, I think they would have just kind of written it off and say, well, that's, those are nice words, you know, uh, but they don't really mean a lot. Uh, so it, it, it meant something very personal for me, but it also meant something for my whole ministry uh, to have experienced that. And there was another uh, revival going on at that time in uh, Pensacola, uh, and that was huge. And, um, and so people were going in all different directions, you know, at that point, late 90s, early 2000s. Um, you know, and going to these different conferences and everything else like that, because I mean, it was it was right exciting <laughs> what what God was doing, um, and and you know sometimes you go to those meetings, I mean like a typical kind of revival meeting, you know, and and you're just like, well, this it's just another church service, you know, but I literally walked into that uh, church in Toronto, and it was just the the presence of the Spirit. It was just un. Believable. I cannot even describe to you what that felt like. And the closer you got to the stage, the more it just overpowering it became. Uh, there was, there's a story I do not relate in the book. Uh, again, this this group went up there, and uh, there was a guy there who was kind of resistant, let's say, um, to all of this. And not that I I was just you know all for it or something like that, but he was pretty skeptical of the whole thing and. And essentially what he said to us before we went up is, you know, if, if this stuff isn't happening to me, then I, I'm not going to believe it. You know, if I just see it, you know, other people fall down or whatever, you know, whatever like that, you know, I'm not going to believe it. So <laughs> God always accepts our challenges, you know, and uh, so we were standing there just worshiping. That's, that, I mean, that's all we're doing. There's a band. We're just, you know, singing along and everything else like that. He's, he's standing in front of me. He's in the row in front of me. He, I, I, it's hard to describe this over a podcast, and you can see me now, Tilly, but he just, he just looked at me, and he just went, boom, right, right over. I mean, just absolutely <laughs> fell out. And, and nobody had prayed for him. Nobody had touched him or you know, anything like that. 
And, uh, and I tell you what, he got up from that and he was just like, okay, I believe it. <laughs> it was, it was, it was amazing. Um, so I was seeing stuff like that all the time and, and, you know, just God, I was very impressed that God would, uh, kind of touch us in the way that we would respond to it, you know, or, or, you know, uh, the way that we needed it or however you want to say that, um, so this guy had said this thing, and, you know, then, well, okay, then he did that thing. Um, so that, you know, that it was those kinds of experiences, and there was a lot of it. Uh, and, uh, you know, like I said, it just kind of set me up for what was coming, um, because I could have definitely written it off as a one-time thing. Uh, but, yeah, it turned out it wasn't a one-time thing. It was like a seven-year thing, you know. But you also said in your church that this had been you had i mean it was becoming care maybe it was a charismatic church i looked it up i was doing some stalking today and um so it was a presbyterian church yes. i was a presbyterian for a while your <laughs> uh-huh. minister married me to my husband the baptist church but um anyway that was surprising to me and then it sounded like you have the gift of healing um I don't. I I have never said that um, that that I do. I have. Um, I I was just in those those moments. Then you know, in in there was a need for that, and and I think God used me. But I have been around people who have the gift of healing, and I am not like those people because they have a faith that is just mountainous, and uh, I have never quite gotten to that point. And and I'll give you an example of this. Which is not definitely not in the book. Um, there was a group that came over from Virginia, from a church uh, to Ukraine, and they did a series of um, like trainings on prayer for healing. Okay, and it was in this one uh, church, and so the way they set it up was they would train during the day, and then we, who were being trained, uh, would. Um, attend the service in the evening, which was a healing service, and we would be the ones praying for people. So it was very hands-on. And and also a bit of a test of, you know, like you can't just hear this stuff. You can't just like listen to this stuff. You actually have to kind of enter into it. And uh, And I will just say that there was a power there that I had never really experienced before, and I knew it wasn't just me. Because this stuff was happening all over the place, and and really extreme stuff, um, I would say. Like, um, okay, very quick story. Don't mean to take a lot of time, you know, with this, but um, uh, there was a woman who came up uh, for prayer, and uh, she had been losing her sight gradually. So she's an older woman, and she said, "I just want to read the Bible," you know. And I thought, well, I mean. God, you hear this, right? You know, for sure you want her to read the Bible. So I was praying with a translator, okay? And uh, we're, we're, we're praying together. And what we had been taught was, okay, you pray for a while, and then you check the person. You say, you know, are you feeling different? You know, whatever is being prayed for, are you able to do this thing? So we, we stopped and we said, you know, do you feel any different? No, I don't feel any different. And then I thought, well, okay, the bottom line is, you know, seeing. So I asked my translator for his Bible because it was a Russian Bible. And 
wouldn't you know, it, it was like, okay, one of those pocket, you know, version Bibles with this tiny little print. And I was like, God, come on, you know, give me a break. Anyway, so uh, I said, can you read anything? And she said, yeah, I can read that this is the Gospel of John. You know, so she could read the big letters up at the top. And I said, okay, fine. So we'll keep on praying. So we, we just prayed a few more minutes. And I said, now tell me if, if things are different. And I showed her the Bible, and she just read the whole page. Okay. And, and, and it was stuff like that that I, I had never seen before, you know. And I knew it wasn't me. I, I, what I think was, you know, this guy has, this pastor had such a gift of faith um, that he was literally able to kind of, you know, inspire that gift in others. And, and then things happened that hadn't happened before. So um, that, that did happen with me in the healing service back at my home church before I ever went to Ukraine. And that was a blessing because I, you know, it's hard to be around people who are sick and say, okay, you know, come on up for prayer. You know, let's pray for you. And they just come week after week after week. That's, it's really discouraging. And um, so I was like, God, I mean, something needs to happen here. And, uh, and that's what changed basically after that conference uh, was that people were getting healed. And, uh, and then I took over that service and started preaching there and praying for healing and that sort of thing. And again, it just like led naturally to, to Ukraine. Um, so I, I was just very grateful that God doesn't just throw us into, you know, a situation and we have no idea what we're doing and the people go, well, you're just kind of a joke, you know, and, and, uh, but he really does prepare us. So I thought that was cool. It's interesting that, and I didn't really get this from the book and maybe I just, I didn't, I just didn't read into it enough that the Ukrainians have this charismatic background, that that's, Mm -hmm. And that is so interesting with the communism, the coldness of communism, and to have this type of mm-hmm. faith with the charismatic end of it. <laughs> I mean, that's- and that's, that's exactly why they do. Um, so, so just give you the timeline on this. Um, the like Baptist church, Pentecostal church, kind of the more mainline uh, denominations, they were there since – communism okay so it's like the 1920s and so they were the ones that went underground when the communists really took over and started persecuting and everything else like that but when independence came in 1991 then you had this flood of evangelists come into the country and hold these giant rallies and you know thousands of people are getting saved and and like instant church, you know, you have this these churches just pop up like this, and most of those were charismatic. So the charismatic kind of came after, like all the communists and everything else like that. And it was exactly a reaction to freedom, I think, mm-hmm. you know, and independence and everything else like that. And and it was just like this is the best thing ever. And so you know they they just started all these churches, and uh, so that. But what we found was, uh, with regard to the institute that I directed, what we found was that there wasn't a lot of education. There wasn't a lot of preparation. 
uh, and, as, and that includes the pastor. So, uh, you know, there was just this need for instruction, and so uh, we started with this uh, bachelor program, and the pastor would go through it, the leadership would go through it, and then everybody else in the church would go through it. And there was just this strengthening of the foundation of the church, you know. And uh, then we started a master's, and then later after I left, they started a doctorate, you know. So that, I mean, it's really kind of a full-service, you know, program at this point. Um, but, but it really met a need because you had these, again, instant churches, but the, it was, they were kind of built on sand, you know, as opposed to the solid rock. And, uh, <laughs> and so I think what we did was we kind of extended the life of these churches uh, because it's, it's certainly possible that they would have collapsed, you know, under their own weight at some point. I was sad and wondered how you dealt, I mean, you did talk about it, but dealing with the duplicity of some of the people within your organization and the churches, that would be very disheartening. I would have a really hard time with that and people um, questioning my integrity. That that really would bother me. So how did you get through that? It was not. Mom, but I want to hear more. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it was not easy. Um, and, and, you know, Scott is a, a former missionary himself. He, we've seen a lot of the same things, uh, I think. And, but I will say because of Ukraine's background, uh, atheistic background, communist background, um, it, you know, it's a combination of really awful uh, kind of effects. You have the, the self-protection um, and the, you know, just like defend yourself at all costs and, and sort of lay low and, you know, all that other stuff. But you also have uh, the dishonesty and just the outright lying, you know, just to, again, get really actually just for self-protection. Um, and or personal gain. It was is basically two things. Um, and you know, you you don't just turn that tap off. You know, when when communism goes away, and so it just I think morphed into a different form. Uh, you know, it it morphed out of the the communist thing, and it morphed into unfortunately some of the churches, and the churches became very controlling places very manipulative places, and unfortunately a place where you could definitely be lied to, and, uh, you know, it, it was, so, so it was difficult, and, you know, we, we, uh, we were there for seven years, and I can uh, say that maybe without that effect, uh, that particular aspect of things, we might have been there longer, uh, but it, it wears on you, it really does. Um, Scott, I don't know if you have something else to throw in on that one. Yeah, I totally agree. That's one of the things you don't plan for, but one of the things that you're a little bit shocked by and discouraged by. Tilly, it's almost like I, I so I have said the exact words you said regarding your collegiate experience in marketing. I too was in marketing. I went to High Point University and the same sort of feelings over the uh, jadedness, I guess, that happens is that same feeling that says, I don't know that I want to be in advertising and marketing, convincing people to buy things that they don't need. And it sort of changes your view a little bit. And I found the same thing to be true uh, there on the mission field, sure enough. 
Where were you a missionary? I served in West Africa and Ghana for a little bit, and then oh, wow. in East Africa and Kenya for uh, a bit longer. What years were you there? So I was there over from 2003 to 2007 at different points in time. Because I was, when I was trying to figure out what I would do after graduation, Peace Corps was one of the things that I wanted to do. And a guy in the dorm had been a Peace Corps volunteer in, in Ghana. Wow, yeah. And he taught me, he knew how um, immature I was and just clueless. Paul used that word in his book a lot, but he he isn't clueless, but I truly was <laughs> clueless. <laughs> and and he knew that I would not be able to handle the extremes of poverty that he he described to me that were there. Of course, this was a long time ago, so maybe conditions have changed. Had they? Was it it, honestly, um, I, I think maybe depending on where uh, people were serving. I know at least in the northern part of Ghana, it was a lot more challenging. We started in the city in Accra in the capital, and um, it wasn't too big. Of course, I grew up in North Carolina living outside, and the wilds of Africa were so uh, there was a romanticism, I think, of it all, and so I loved every minute of it. But uh, we we spent uh, some time there in Accra, and then we moved out into a village called Adusa that had about 500 people and no running water, no electricity. Uh, it was pretty primitive, uh, but it was about par for the course for the people that lived outside the cities, and um, it was a shock and it was a, a struggle. There was probably a lot more struggle um, toward the northern part of the country that was a large Islamic population. And mm -hmm. because of that, I think people had a difficulty gaining access to go and provide assistance. Some of the groups were not very open to Westerners. And, uh, and I found that interesting. But, you know, so much of your story I recognize. Uh, when I was in High Point uh, University, we had Campus Crusade for Christ that was a student-led ministry. And so day number one, when I'm on campus as a freshman, I got involved with Campus Crusade for Christ and started help, uh, helping lead things when I was a sophomore. And then when I was a junior, all the former leadership was gone. And since it was a student-led ministry, it was kind of like, well, I guess I'll do it. And so I uh, led Campus Crusade for Christ there on campus my junior year and my senior year. And for me, that was such a formative experience. And I think probably the lessons and the skill sets that I learned through that maybe had a more lasting effect than what I did academically <laughs> because I never used my marketing degree for the most part. And I also, I double majored in computer information systems development and I might've used that a little bit, but uh, I really think that for me, that campus ministry sort of opened doors and provided an avenue for my holy discontent that I was experiencing with my major um, and gave an avenue, which ultimately led me to the mission field right after I graduated. Yeah. You talk about like, you know, university kind of, and, and your experience. I mean, all these are such formative experiences, you know, that you really can't put a price on, you know, you think, ah, I'm just, in this group, uh, I'm just leading this group, uh, you know, I'm just doing it. But 
yeah, God's just kind of working through all of that stuff. It's really cool. Well, it's been a delight talking to you, Tilly. Yeah. That's just been uh, way too long, and love to go down memory lane a little bit with you, but also catch up. That's that's also awesome. Um, so thanks for spending time with us. We really oh, appreciate fun. it. Thank you so much, and thank you for these books. They're wonderful books. Thanks for listening to Moments That Matter, a podcast that looks at the moments in our lives that come along from time to time that have consequences long after the moment, especially those moments that have to do with the choice of vocation. In his book, Let Your Life Speak, Listening for the Voice of Vocation, Parker Palmer speaks of a clearness committee in the Quaker tradition, wherein a group of older, wiser people ask questions of someone considering a life choice as a way of clarifying the next step. We may not meet with a committee about these big decisions, but we all have these critical junctures in our lives, which we can think of as clearness committee moments. We need to pay attention to these moments because they are profound and potentially life-altering. We'll relay stories from our lives and interview others about theirs, especially noting the clearness committee moments, those we choose to recognize and those that were sadly ignored, those decisions that were made with God in mind and those that were not. Our hope is that these podcasts will cause you to think of the same kind of moments in your life with new clarity.